Hello, I'm Alex Zane, film journalist, movie fan, and your host for a trip to the movies. I'm currently in our podcast studio, a mile beneath the streets of London, and in a moment, my guest this week, the brilliant actor and filmmaker Ray Panthaki, will be talking about the wonderful BBC series Boiling Point, based on the movie of the same name, as well as taking us on his perfect night out at the cinema. Thank you for downloading the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Odeon. And if you've been to watch a film at Odeon recently, you'll know that nothing beats that cinematic feeling. It's not just about stuffing your face with delicious popcorn, although, let's be honest, that helps. It's your hair standing on end, your palms sweating and being transported somewhere magical. It's feeling every footstep of some giant lumbering monster. It's car chasers, space battles and your heart beating out of your chest. It's about feeling cinematic and nobody does that better than Odeon. Head to odeon.co.uk or download their app to book your next adventure today. And if you'd like a pair of free tickets to head to your nearest Odeon, stick around after the interview and I'll tell you how you can get your hands on some. Also, if you'd like to watch today's interview in glorious Technicolor, the video for each episode goes up a few days after the podcast launches over on our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. And if you do head over there, please hit subscribe while you're there and help us grow the pod into a giant temple of film. For all the latest updates and to get in touch with us, you'll find us at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod on all social media. Right then, time to introduce today's guest who I interviewed just yesterday on Zoom. So let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies where each week a special guest takes us on their perfect night out at the cinema. This week we are joined by a brilliant actor and filmmaker whose career has straddled both drama and comedy from Ali G in the house to Swedish thriller Marcella, from the streets of the capital in Gangs of London to sci-fi spectacle in a way. He's now back on our screens in the brilliant new BBC One series Boiling Point based on the critically acclaimed film of the same name here to tell us about that and take us on his perfect night out at the movies it's the hugely talented Ray Panthaki. Ray, thank you for being on the show. How are you, mate? I'm really good, thank you. I feel in a in a in a really good place at the moment. Uh, just in all aspects of life, I've just got back from a a three week uh, Ayurvedic detox in Austria, which was incredible. Okay, anyone watching the video of this will have noticed my face go, uh, uh, what's an Ayurvedic detox? Basically, it's, it, it was a detox retreat at, at based in old kind of um, Ayurvedic, like thousands of, year, thousands of years old uh, 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 way of like detoxifying the body, really. And it's something I'd been interested in for a long time. And then with the actor strike on and stuff, I was like, now is a better time than ever to take some time out and do this. So I found this place in Austria. I went out there for 21 days and um, it was just a space to really get some mental and physical clarity. It was amazing. It was amazing. So you basically go there. I can still see your confused face. No, so no, 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 no. I'm, I'm coming round to it. Were you, <laughs> were, you, were, you in a, were you in a place where you were like, I need to do this now? Or was it just something you thought, I'll give this a go? Had you reached a oh, point no, where you... I just wanted to give it a go. I was just like, you know, um, yeah, just for years, I was just like, I want to do it. I want it because it's, 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 it detoxifies the body of like harmful chemicals that you've been breathing in or eating. 
Um, and not only that, you sort of, um, it's just a mindset as well. So it's all, it's completely holistic and it's all very natural. Um, but yeah, you spend the first week uh, drinking warm ghee every morning, which is nasty. I'm not going to lie, but that kind of acts as a kind of way of pulling toxins from your body. Oh, and I, then, I don't know. That sounds. I mean, drinking, having a having a, an excuse, being told to drink warm butter, I have no problem with. Really, you 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 know, not after seven days of doing it, it's pretty nasty, man. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, if it was all I was drinking, I might have a problem. But you give me a little, a little, a little pot of butter. Mm-mm-mm, that's uh, that's good, man. Yeah, you're having it, yeah. Well, look. It was, it was, it was like the whole trip was very up and down for like the first sort of 10 days. You're kind of like, these toxins are coming out of your body. And it's just years of build up of like, you know, you're living in London and pollution. And um, yeah, and it all starts to come out and you're really like sort of up and down. Uh, and then you hit this like sort of place where you're like, oh my God, I can see differently. Clarity, like amazing clarity. And it was just, and I think that's why I'm, to answer a long-winded winded answer to your question, that's why I'm feeling so good is because I actually took the time out to do this. I've never done anything like this before. And um, and I got some real mental clarity and physically I feel in a good place. So, um, yeah. That's that's and great, I never, I, often, I never, I never really say that. People are like, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm stressed with this. This is going on, <laughs> that's going on. So for the first time in ever, since forever, I'm actually like, I'm in a good place. I love that. I love that. And how long have you been? Um, how long have you been back from this retreat? This uh, uh, about a month now. About and it's a month. Still, it's still there. Like you still yeah. have. You still have the 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 stress free clarity. Up until last week, where things were really busy, and I just went ah, oh, and I started to feel myself going back into that place where I was like, oh no, no, I'm feeling stressed again. I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I used to feel. And um, but I have the tools in place now. To go, okay, this is what it is. It's going to be all right. And I just sort of had these techniques of like sort of breathing my way through it, which I learned out there by the people that run this place. And so um, I think the benefits will last a lifetime in that sense. That's that's great. I admit this is this is my my issue like i i've got to the point where i think because like you start talking about this anywhere near your phone and your phone immediately gives you every single article on the subject because it's always listening um i was talking to someone i was like i think i'm addicted to dopamine the stress hormone because i wake up and my brain just clicks in and i'm almost excited to get out of bed and start dealing with life like the stress is what drives me and it, it potentially scares me a little to have that removed i don't i, I mean it sounds great but i don't yeah. know i don't know what i'd be how how i'd react like whether i'd just be too calm and not get anything done i'm just like i'm just so chill i just don't need to do anything yeah i think i'm like you and i think i've been running on that fuel for 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 most of my life and it was really difficult when i first got there to 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 readjust to this silence and this like there's not much to do and actually i found the phone was probably the hardest thing to like to like sort of give up but I made a conscious effort to like put it away for most of the day and then check it at certain times and then there was this moment of like oh I feel really bored I'm not doing anything but after a while you kind of go actually this is a really nice space and all the things I worry about actually are okay everything's okay 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, and so I, I think if you're that kind of person, there there is a world in which you do something like that and you, 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 you still have that. You still have that thing that drives you, but then you have these techniques in place to go, okay, I can just take a moment out and uh, and it kind of makes those busier moments easier to deal with that does sound that does sound useful because as much as i love the stress in in its own perverse way there are moments where the whole house of cards comes crashing down because you cannot mm-hmm. you you take on so much because you want the stress and then you realize you hit a, a point where everything just collapses because it is fundamentally unsustainable 100% man so what's it what's it called then? Just so I'm literally going to look uh, look into this. It's a, 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 a do- uh, no, I I I I Aveda Resort Mandira, and it's in Austria. Oh, and um, I'd be very happy to, to to make an introduction to the people there because they're wonderful people. Thanks, it's Ray. Amazing couple who are just incredible. That's great. Um, I mean, it sort of leads quite nicely. This is one glorious and completely accidental segue into the show uh we're going to be talking about because that is stress inducing just watching yeah. boiling point um I, I i i mean is it stressful to film was that what did it was that what tipped you over the edge and you were like oh my god i cannot be in that kitchen anymore listen after doing that one take film my life has never been the same since <laughs> that that was such high anxiety as a performer and as an actor to I don't even know why I threw myself into that situation I'm kind of like I, I mean I, I did there was moments where where I really deliberated is this the right thing to do like it's a one take movie that's going to be improvised and you're working alongside Stephen Graham all those things frighten the hell out of me um but it's again it's like it's those it's those moments in life where I'm like Things I've decided to really make a conscious effort of things that scare me are probably have worked out. They're probably the things that are really good for me. So it scared the life out of me to do this film for all those above reasons. And but then it's arguably been one of the best things I've ever done. I I I'd, I'd be one of a chorus of voices if I added mine to the fact that Boiling Point is a, is a must watch. If if anyone hasn't seen it, like like Ray just said, it it's this one take film set in a high end restaurant and. I mean, it's incredible to watch, uh, and it is anxiety-inducing. Um, you are brilliant. I, that scene, I think a lot of people have seen it. You share a fiery, let's call it, exchange with Stephen yeah. Graham at the end, your character Freeman. Um, was that improvised? Like, Because he he goes for you. Did you know at that at least that he was probably going to attempt to throw a punch? Yeah, I knew he was going to go for me. I knew that because of the rehearsal. Um, but every time it was different. So you didn't know how he's going to, and actually I think the take that we used, I mean, he gets really close. Like if I'm not moving, it's going to hit me. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we were so in it. Like all of us were so in these characters. You had to be, you had to be, because when you're doing something like that, um, you have no choice but to be, to know your character inside out um, and to be completely present because that ball can be thrown to you at any moment and you've got to, you got to know how your character is going to respond and throw that back. Um, so it was, it was, you know, as an actor, it's like, gosh, I, I, I wish I could like, act, do, work like that all the time because the feeling of that, that feeling of being completely present and not knowing what to expect, well, that's real life, right? And um, it was incredible, frightening, 
but incredible. And when you're working with people like Stephen, he just elevates you to be better. You know, you just automatically look better acting alongside him. So I'm very grateful for, for all of it, really. So I, I, I get to say this. You don't always get to say this. Um, the TV series mm. uh, is arguably as good, if not because you get to know the characters even more, potentially better than the movie. And the reason I don't always get to say that is because it's not always that the entire creative team behind the film no. are involved, cast included in the television show. And I love the fact it is a literal continuation of the story, almost mm. like the movie was a 90-minute pilot for this TV show. Was that always the plan? Did you always know that it was going to go on to become the show on BBC One? No, absolutely not. We didn't even know that the film was going to have the journey that it had, you know. it. Well, you do these things, you do these indie movies, and there's always that little expectation in the back of your head that no one's ever going to see this, okay? That that happens quite often. And um, But no one... I mean, of course, we knew Stephen being in it. There was going to be an element of eyeballs wanting to watch it, so it was a good thing. But we, it was just a low-budget movie, and we did not expect it to have the journey that it had. So that was the first thing, and and um, that was completely blew away all our expectations. And then, of course, it sort of went this little tiny thing went stratospheric, and then people were obviously, I mean, the producers could answer could answer this more, but people were obviously knocking on the door because. And I think the reason that they were doing that, why why networks were interested in taking it on, is because the film touched on all these different characters, and you got a little insight into all of them. But we didn't over-explain. We didn't over-explain why, um, you know, why my character's so fiery and feisty and uh, why one character cuts himself. Um, but there was so much intrigue there. And there was a lot of, the, you know, publicly, a lot, a lot of the people that, you know, stopped me to talk about Boiling Point, um, they were kind of, they wanted to know more about these characters. And so I think it was just a natural progression. I think anyone that saw it um, were saw that there was potential there i was a bit reluctant because i was like why are we touching something that's not broken oh my god we've had this amazing journey why would we risk ruining it um but then when you heard phil barantini who created it his ideas along with james cummings the writer and stephen graham who's also involved in creating the tv show uh when you heard their ideas about how they were going to do it i was like okay this is a no-brainer it really is mm. a no-brainer no, I um, think I, I think, you know, that to go back to what I was saying, why I, I think it's as good as if not better is exactly that reason, because you get this little uh, soups on uh, for want of a, a more chef related term of all these characters in the movie. But getting to know them, expanding them, having the privilege of that time, an hour long episode, like for so many episodes to understand these people that you spent that intense 90 minutes with is it's just great. It's great. Thank you. I mean, it's like. It's been it's been quite overwhelming, like the the response to the TV show, um, and of course we started the TV show with that one shot, and that was like, oh man, we're doing this again. <laughs> Dress of it, um, uh, but you know, I think it was it was something that had to be done. It was the real identity of the show, and it was it was a nice way to 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 start it. So, I mean, if if people weren't aware, I, I bloody love the show. I think I've said that about six times. It's brilliant. You're brilliant in it. Uh, now, bearing in mind, obviously, you've, you've, you've just come back from uh, what sounds like a very relaxing and calming retreat. 
are you at a position now where you can take a a step back and just kind of enjoy where you are in your career, the success of this show, your performance in it, or are you already looking for the next thing? Have you got one eye on what the next thing is? Yeah, I think I always have because I'm a bit of a workaholic and I'm, you know, I run a film company as well, so I'm always creating my own stuff. Um, So there's always going to be that going on. But in terms of like, yeah, I was answering this question the other day and it's like, and I was trying to really, and I might not articulate myself really well now, but for the first time in my career, and I'm like 25 years into it now, and for the first time in my career, I feel, it feels exciting to me. It, it's always felt exciting. See, I'm not articulating myself very well, but it's it's always felt exciting. But what I'm trying to say is that for the first time, it feels like I'm starting my career again. I'm at the beginning of it. And I think that's an amalgamation of many different things. I feel like I'm in a different place personally, but also I think the industry's changed so much. And and for the first time, I, can, I feel like I can... Be, I can be selective, a bit more selective. And, and I think that's because in the past, there were less opportunities for, for, for being a brown actor. And I felt there was a tendency to, I have to say yes, I have to take this because I don't know when the next job might come along and I have to do this. And sometimes I wouldn't make like, and I tried to be as in, as, keep as much integrity as possible. There were times where I, you know, made decisions because I had to make a decision to take it because I didn't really trust that there would be something else coming in not because I didn't trust my ability but because I didn't trust there was enough out there for me mm-hmm. and now like the industry's changed so much and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and things are being cast cast you know colorblind casting it's amazing and so I feel like yeah now I can really step into that place as an artist and go um I said something the other day it's like don't judge an artist until they're a a place when they where they can afford to make choices and i don't necessarily mean afford by like financially um i mean like where they can where where the industry is allowing them opportunities so i feel in a really good place in terms of that because i can be i can really show who i am as an artist now because i'm not fearful that if i don't say yes to this nothing else is going to happen yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. How, If you don't mind me asking, how old yeah. are you? As a reason for that question. Old enough. Old <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I think the, the reason I'm asking that is because it's such a, a positive thing to be like 25 years into yeah. your career and to be able to suddenly go, I feel like I feel so um, energized at this stage to the point that I feel like I'm starting my career again because the landscape's changed because of where I am, those two things combined. It must be nice to have been doing it for 25 years and have the enthusiasm that it sounds like you have now once again. Yeah, it really does, man. I, and, and and I'm really grateful um, for the opportunities that are coming. And yeah, it's just like now I can really express myself in who I am as, as an actor and an artist and a filmmaker and all those things. I feel like, yeah. There's, there's that there's that real opportunity to do that. And that's a really nice place to be. Like you've hit the promised land now. So now it's like, now, yeah, let's see. Now I can really express myself. So Brilliant stuff, man. Congratulations again on Boiling Point. Um, it's time now though, Ray. Gosh, I could talk to you about this all day, but we must leave this reality and head 
to our virtual cinema in a dimension of pure film. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Ray. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? Okay, these questions are so difficult because there's so many options of where to go and who. It's like a oh, blank canvas. Okay, but I thought about this and I might have to take two people, forgive me. But the first person I'd take is Marlon Brando because I am such a huge fan of him as an artist, as an actor, but also as a person and what he stood for, um, his process, um, what he did for cinema and the naturalism he brought to screen acting. So it'd be Marlon Brando, and I think he's very opinionated, so I would love to hear what he thought. Okay, Marlon Brando. Do you remember when you first discovered him? What what was the what was the film that made you set up and take note? Oh gosh, I think it was it was The Godfather, and I was like, "Who is this guy? What is this performance? This is incredible." Um, and so for me, it was that. And then I remember reading like a biography, uh, unofficial biography of Brando, and just learning more about him as a person. It was just like, "Gosh, this guy's my idol. Like he he, he represents." so much i mean they really they really don't make them like brando anymore i i i think i think it's how how to phrase this i love the fact that he'd reached a point in his career where he was so respected at his craft that he also is privileged the right word was able let's say to have opinions that might ruffle feathers but because of how good an actor he was it wasn't going to jeopardize his career completely. Yeah, one of one of one of the few that got to that place of being able to do that. And uh yeah, I love what he stood for. So he would be my number one. And then if I'm allowed to take an extra person, it would be my best mate Gareth, because me and Gareth, after watching a movie, can sit down four hours well into the night breaking down the metaphor of a scene and what it meant spiritually and why that was there and why this was there. And we could just go on and on and on and on. And I feel like we break down scenes like wonderfully. So, so we love story and we love structure and we love working out why a scene was there and what every little ele element of it meant. So um, I'd bring Gareth as well. And he would be thrilled to be introduced to Marlon Brando. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, um, we you touched briefly on this. You, you've, you've worked as a director, an actor, a producer, a writer over your career. And so obviously you, you have um, a, a, a love from within the industry. Is Gareth in the industry or is he just a, a devotee to the, the movie land? Yeah, well, Gareth is, is one of the most talented people I know. He's actually a, a, a stand-up comedian and... Um, and uh, does various different things and um but he also we have dabbled in writing together and uh so yeah but he's super talented so um but sometimes gareth needs a little kick to be motivated <laughs> and so and so i feel like introducing him to brando would oh be like come on man like this is who you're hanging with now like come on step up to the plate 
I love it. Uh, and a little bit of altruism in your choice as well. You're helping Gareth out. That, that's that's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, every, I think every writer needs a, a kick up the arse sometimes. I, I don't know how you found it of all the different elements of your career, but having tried it myself um, with limited or uh, sporadic success, it is the hardest thing out of every different thing I've ever tried in my life. Script writing, screenplay writing, sitting in front of that laptop. Yeah. Well, I'm going to segue back to what we started, take us back to what we started with. When I was on the retreat, I have been writing something for about three years. And we're like in the draft 87, something crazy, because something wasn't just quite working. And um, it's been really frustrating, a really frustrating creative process for three years. And on the retreat, halfway through, so you go through these ups and downs of like everything coming out and like you're, you, you know, being like up and down days. And then suddenly you hit that moment where you're like, oh, I feel amazing. I feel great. And it's not long after that, a day or two after that, I was like, I feel like writing today. And I went back to my project and I went, I'm going to do a page one rewrite from the beginning because I found the clarity. And I started typing and I went and I went and I went and something, and what was channeling through me and I was writing this thing and I was like, wow, this clarity I'm getting. And I got to the end of the day and I'd done like 25 pages or something. And I was like, I don't want to stop because I don't want whatever's going on here to stop. But I put it away. And the next day I've got up excitedly and I'm going to do this again. And I went again, and I'm like, it's still there. I don't know what's going on. This is amazing. I'm writing stuff I didn't even think was in my mind. And I just carried on writing. I wrote this thing in three days, dude. In three <laughs> days. After three years of, like, writer's block, this thing just came to me. So there is something to be said for this detail. If I, if I wasn't already sold on it, uh, I am now. That's amazing. I, if right. I, I think I think any anyone who's tried to write a script will be like, what is this place? I need to go there. It, I mean, it might com be completely psychosomatic. I might, you know, I, I don't know. But whatever was going on, I got a result at the end of it. So there we are. <laughs> All right, brilliant. It's you and Gareth and Marlon Brando going to the cinema. Now there's a clock on the wall in the foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? Okay. I like going to the cinema really, really, really late at night. And I remember there used to be like midnight screenings in London or sometimes even later. And I was in Leicester Square the other day and I was at a loose end late at night and I was like, I'm going to go to the cinema. I want to go to a late night screening. I couldn't find any. So I don't know if that's changed. But um, I like late night screenings really, really late. And I don't know. I feel like there's something. I always remember that scene in True Romance where he goes to the cinema on his own late at night. Um, and, and, uh, there's something very romantic about it. And so I would go super late at night, but then I think that sort of, that works perfectly because you wouldn't want Brando to get recognized. That's true. And also you wouldn't, well, I don't, I struggle with, um, popcorn bag crunches. <laughs> like you get less of them at night because cinema is usually quite empty in those late night screenings. Okay, so you want a sparsely filled popcorn limited cinema. Um, I, so if you're finishing the movie, say you start, let's go with midnight, finish at 2 a.m. For you and Gareth and now Marlon Brando to have your 
regular chinwag about the movie, mm. you're going to still be, you're going to be awake at dawn. Are you happy with that? You've got nothing on the following day. No, I'm happy to do that. I mean, you're right. there with Marlon Brando. Me and Gareth would do that anyway, and we're just bringing Brando into the fold. I'm sure Brando would be a member of some swanky late night bar somewhere. <laughs> oh, just sitting. I, I think eventually, you know, if you're doing sort of seven hours of chat, the conversation would come round to the island of Dr. Moreau, and I would love to hear Brando talk about that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, the one with Val Kilmer. I've never seen it, but I've heard all about it. I've heard <laughs> all about it. Yeah, there's a great documentary called Lost Soul, um, um, all about it, which is, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. One of the ideas I think Brando had, which I, I always I always reference because I think it's either he just got bored with acting or he just had a wicked sense of humor. Like he said to the director, he was like, uh, how about when I um, remove my hat? Because he has this hat on with this veil in front of it. How about when I remove my hat? I have the head of a dolphin. <laughs> I think he played with a lot of people. He played around. He was kind of like, with. He, I think it was a wicked sense of humor, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. So a midnight screening. Right. You have booked the tickets, Ray. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? I, I need to sit in aisle seats. Now, I know that's not really the done thing. People always want to sit in the middle of the screen. I sit in aisle seats, but I don't know why. Something since childhood. It's I'm the same on a plane. I need to be able to escape. Like I need to be able to. I can't feel too, too. I feel too much in danger from in the middle and there's people around me. So if it's if it's not empty, if it's empty, fine. I'll sit in the middle of the screen. But if it's if it's if it's there's more people in there, I need to sit in an aisle seat for a quick escape. It's a weird thing. I'm the same in restaurants. It's like a danger thing. Like in restaurants, I can't sit with my back to the majority of the restaurant. I have to sit facing. I need to speak to my therapist about it. No, I don't know. It's, first of all, uh, you could be a reincarnated hitman, uh, and it could be some sort of previous life as an assassin where you're like uh, like Leon, I think, you know, always sitting there, never, never lying down to go to sleep, sitting in an armchair with your gun on the armrest. That yeah. could be it. Also, you're in safe company. I, too, am an Isla. We are few and far between on this show. Everyone's center, middle, wow. done. Yeah, I'm an Isla as well. There we go. And also, if the movie's terrible, well, I know my movie's not going to be terrible, the one that we're going to watch, but um, generally, you can make an escape without interrupting anyone else. Interesting. So if, if a movie really isn't doing it for you, you will leave before the end? I've been known to, yeah. Not often, not often, because... Um, but there's been one or two occasions. Can't remember what, but there's definitely been one or two occasions where I've where I've gone like, oh no, I can't. I don't tend to walk out of movies. I will turn a movie off at home, but that I think Ooh. taps into the disposable nature of watching movies when you're just two clicks away from getting it on the TV compared sure. to the effort you make to go to the cinema. You're like, well, look, I've made this effort. I'm immersed in this. Maybe yeah. it'll turn around. Um, and often it doesn't. Uh, right then, final thing we need. Ray, before we leave the foyer, Wait. what are you choosing to eat? Because the air in the foyer is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available. What are you picking? Okay. I am going for salted popcorn, and it has to be salted. Please do not get one sweet one in there by mistake. Can't be doing that. <laughs> salted popcorn. Although, although, like... I'm on a, 
I'm often doing these like diets or whatever if I'm, if I'm getting in shape for something I'm doing. And like currently I'm on this like keto diet. And so when I go to the cinema, I can't eat popcorn. And I'm like, ah. Um, but I've noticed in the Picture House Central, they have these like, what would you call them? Like they're, crisp, they're made from cheese and they're like these crispy cheese things. And so I saw them the other day and I just like grabbed like three packets. I was like, this is my new popcorn. This is my keto popcorn. Um, so it's still got the crunch and it's keto. It's amazing. Wow. Uh, this is, I'm doing the keto thing as well at the moment. Um, how, how, how are you finding it? Um, I literally, I'll tell you my story. Last night I was sitting on the sofa and I was watching a movie and someone was eating a bowl of cereal and I just, I, I, I had a, almost a panic attack. I was like, I, I need cereal and I can't eat fucking cereal. Oh my fucking, what am I going to do? So I went on Amazon. And and this is this is this is because I would never normally spend this amount of money on something for a three hundred gram box of keto granola, which I don't even know how it works. Don't know what it's going to taste like. Five yep. pounds. You had to buy three, so I spent fifteen pounds. Dude, I bought it the other day. I bet it's the same <laughs> one. It's and it's got some. It's got some. Uh, it, it it's brown. It was in a. It was in a black bag. I don't know. There was different flavors, but my one had a little bit of. Uh, 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 chocolate in it, and yes. um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great, but it does it does hit the spot. Okay, it's, I think that's all. All I need is is like some some milk, like some oat milk in a bowl with this granola, and I, I think just the process of dipping a spoon into that and eating it. I don't think taste is that important to me as much as the experience once really? again of eating cereal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, look, it is a hard, a hard diet to do, but I really see the benefits of it. So um, nothing good comes easy, right? Nothing good comes easy. Very true. So having uh, some salt popcorn, this is a treat night. This is your perfect cinema trip. Anything to drink? Uh, gosh, it's, it's like I'm preaching this like healthy thing at the moment. I mean, this is not usually what I'm like, but at the moment, since I got back from the retreat, I've only drank water. I've cut out caffeine as well. So okay. I take a large bottle of water. Right. I mean, you are Boring. having popcorn, so it is cheap. It is a cheat day, let's let's call it. But if you, oh, okay. if, if it's if you want water, day. it's fine. You can have if, water. No, but if it's a cheat day, then it's a Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Lovely. Let's call it a cheat then. You can have uh, a Coke Zero. Yeah, I um, agree. The keto thing is is fun, and you do see results, and that's what that's the thing that I'm I'm clinging on to because it does it does transform things very quickly. So yeah. if, just at the point where you're like, do you know what? Fuck this diet. You're like, oh, actually, no. Look at that. Okay, fine. So yeah, yeah. right, right. Are you doing it for a role or just for fun? Yeah, I'm sort of like preparing for something it's a bit further down the line but i don't want to get into that panic place where it's like well, i've got three weeks to get into shape and uh so i'm for once like really taking time to like progressively do it slowly mm. yeah that sounds good that sounds good uh Corgetti. i bought a, i bought a new spiralizer because i was wanted to make some chow mein yeah and uh it, it's it's very i I don't think courgette as pasta, as a pasta substitute works, but as a noodle substitute with enough soy sauce and uh, enough sesame oil when you cook it, it actually does work. Yeah, it, it does. I, I, I agree. I mean, it's never going to be the same, is it? But I have found 
a place that does keto pizza. Wow. Um, is it... And it tastes good. So um, I'll let you know about that. Like, Yeah, let I, me know. Very expensive. Very expensive. But when you're craving it, you're just like, yeah, i got to have it. I saw a recipe for some keto pizza, and I don't know even where you begin to get almond flour, so I haven't been able to make it. <laughs> So there was another one which just involves a mozzarella and six or four or five eggs as the base. I wanted it to be good because it was really easy to make. It tastes like you're eating tomato on an omelette, unfortunately. So you, you, oh, you can't. Uh, yours no, sounds better. I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> that's, that's enough keto chat. That's a, a, yeah. a new feature on the show. It's time to leave the foyer and walk towards the auditorium. We push open the doors and start to head down the corridor. Now, the corridor's looking a bit bare at the moment, so I want to put up some posters that depict your most important movie memories. And the first poster depicts, Ray, your fondest movie memory. Oh, this was a difficult question, um, and I thought about this, but recently, as in like two weeks ago, not even, I went to a screening of um, I was invited to a screening, um, very grateful to be invited to a screening of Killers of the Flower Moon with Scorsese there in a small room talking after the movie. And I have to say that was an amazing cinematic experience. The film was amazing. Um, I stayed awake for three and a half hours. <laughs> it was, and, and then to hear the man himself along with, lots of other creatives from the movie talk about it was like something that I'd always remember. I mean, he's just the master, isn't he? Like it was just, it was just amazing to just watch this wonderful piece of art and amazing performances. And Lily Gladstone is just so incredible in this film. Um, and so I would say that is definitely to have that whole experience. Um, and then to be right there while Scorsese was talking about it after was pretty special that sounds that sounds wonderful um he's obviously a, a legend did he drop any fascinating nuggets because he's been on this tour for the movie for a little while promoting it and yeah. you know he's been talking about cinema and hollywood and you know the state of cinema today um, did he did he talk about that or was it just about the film he really kept it more focused on the film and I found it quite interesting, um, which I wasn't aware of, that, you know, they were moving, they sort of took the perspective away from what the novel was. Um, and the perspective of the novel was more from Jesse Plemons' character's point of view. But actually, he decided that it needed to be more about his love story. And and, uh, and so DiCaprio switched roles because DiCaprio was originally going to be playing Jesse Plemons' character, I believe. And then when they changed the perspective of the movie, he 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 decided he was going to play that role. And I thought that was quite fascinating. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. I look forward to seeing it. I can't wait. So the first poster we're putting up is for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, right. So we continue down the corridor. And the second movie poster I'm putting up depicts your worst movie memory. Hmm. I was struggling with this one. I was talking to her. I went out for dinner with my agent and, and her assistant yesterday. Okay, so so I remember this experience, and it may have been uh, 
the first time I went to the cinema, it might not have been the first time I went to cinema, but it was probably the first time I saw a movie that wasn't like an animation. So I was a kid, probably about eight years old. And we went to see, me and my parents went to see Three Men and a Baby. Hmm. And I remember watching this movie. And while I was watching the movie, there's a particular scene that happens. And I remember freaking out because I was like, I saw a ghost in the back of shot. And I remember seeing it. It was like, there's this figure of this kid. And I remember saying to my parents, I saw it. There was someone in the background. There was someone in the background. It was like a ghost. And they were like, what are you talking about? And obviously it was in the cinema. We can't rewind it and watch it. And I had this thing with me for years. And I was like, I definitely saw something and no one believes me. And then, of course, years later, when Google became a thing and I was older, I realized that this was a thing. Mm. This was a thing. And I saw it live and direct the first time I watched the movie. We <laughs> noticed it and no one believed me. And yeah, I don't, there's, there's probably some answer to it, which I, I, I probably need to Reddit it. Like I haven't done it for a long time and find out what people's theories are about it. But mental. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... I think, oh God, I think it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the first theory was like, like, like what you thought was like, it, it's a, I think it was a ghost of a child who had, who had passed on the set and it was like, that's what it was meant to be. And then I think, I cannot remember what it is, but apparently there is a less exciting reason. So you're, you're, you're picking it as your worst movie memory because you were frustrated by the fact that you couldn't get an answer or because you were scarred and terrified at the idea that you'd seen something. Yeah, I was like freaked out. I mean, I wouldn't have known better at that age. I might have thought, oh, it's just someone in the back of shot or this and that. But I knew it was weird and I knew it was like, and no one was believing me. No, I was like, no, 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 you, you couldn't have seen that. It's like, this is like this ghostly figure. And um, so I'm going to put that there. Great. As, 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 as a memory. Let's stick it up. Um, uh, we're going to put up a poster of three men and a baby because of the ghost child. Our Whoa. third poster depicts the last performance, Ray, that brought you to tears. So the last performance that brought me to tears was uh, film Capernaum. And there is a beautiful, beautiful central performance from a non-actor, a young kid, probably no more than seven or eight years old, um, uh, it's a Lebanese movie, I believe. Um, Nadine, the director was Nadine Labaki, was it? Yes. Yes. And I watched this movie and was just absolutely blown away. And in every way, just like as a whole cinematic experience and what it was talking about and, 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 but mostly because of this wonderful central performance from this kid that had never acted before. And um, it touched me so much. I was bawling, bawling. And there's this moment at the end of the film uh, where he, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but where he sort of, right at the end of the movie, he smiles and you realise that it's, he hasn't smiled for the whole two, two and a half hours. Like it's the first time and it has such an impact because you're like, oh, that is the first time he's smiled throughout the whole film. And uh, yeah, it just broke me, man. It's a, it's a really beautiful film. And if people haven't seen it, um, I really urge you to go and seek it out. 
Um, I'm I'm one of those people. Transparency. I've not seen it. Um, I right. remember it, it. It it won the grand jury prize at Cannes. So it's one of those. It's it's definitely a film of of quality. So yeah, great recommendation. If anyone's not seen it, Capernaum by Nadine yeah. Lebecki is the poster we're putting up for the last performance that brought you to tears. And our final poster depicts Ray your unpopular movie opinion. Okay, I I don't think it's so much a pop an unpopular opinion more as an more more of an unpopular decision. Okay, making decision, and actually, I think you're going to be disgusted with me admitting this. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I have never seen a Star Wars movie. Wow, um, it's not so much of an opinion as opposed of a as opposed to a decision. Is that good enough? It, what we, we we can go with it. Yeah, let's call well this week we'll have an unpopular decision, but maybe it'll err into an unpopular opinion if you tell me exactly what your thinking is behind never having watched one of the the most famous global franchises in the world. I actually don't know. Like I I I, I wouldn't say Sci-fi is my particular thing to start with. Um, and it's just something that I never got round to doing, I guess. It's a quite boring answer. And I remember like, because I feel like if you're going to watch the Star, if you're going to watch Star Wars, you need to watch them all. Like you need to take some time out. Like I'm, I'm going to watch the whole thing. Let me and just jump in there. You don't. You 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 really don't. There's, to be perfectly honest, there's three movies that are essential: uh, okay. New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. You you can do them in a day. You don't need to do the prequels, and you don't okay. need to do the sequels. My excuses are not washing with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um yeah, I actually I cannot give you a reason. I remember buying a box set, um and uh, on DVD. I don't know where it is now, but um I never got around to it. And it's it it. There's no excuse really, but post this conversation, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to re- report back to you. So the intention was there. You bought a Star Wars box set with the intention of of joining the party. Yeah, I did, I did, and then I just never got round to it. So the thing is, without sounding too much of like a like oh like art house wanker, like I I like I I I tend to. Like, I don't always see movies as escapism for me. Like, I I don't choose to necessarily go and see... I don't get excited, like, to go and see a Marvel movie. Um, but I do, I do like, you know, indie movies. That's my thing. If I had two hours spare, I'd always go and buy a ticket to, 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 to an indie movie that I know is going to touch me or i'm gonna learn something from or um yeah it's just my choice it's always just been my my what my preference um i love all those other movies it's just that if i had a choice i'd go and see that kind of you know bit of world cinema you know i get it you want to yeah i think i think i i think i i understand i i think buried in there also was another unpopular opinion i don't get excited about marvel movies that's that that's like that's we it's a double whammy in this answer mm-hmm. um, yeah it but is. yeah i mean i think if you 
it's it's a difficult one because I think certainly there are elements of like the Star Wars movies that do affect you that are quite powerful and are that do touch the sides. It's you're not purely escaping, but I guess the landscape they're set in is one of the reasons I like them because yeah. I, I do want to escape. I want to be transported yeah. somewhere to to a galaxy far far away, um, and and that's why I I love those movies and I love the MCU or did because. It does take you away from reality. You, you get sure. lost in in something else oh, for two hours. I totally get the appeal, and and occasionally I want to do that for sure. But I just, um, it just, it does. It's just I would. I just. It's just what I do. I always prefer if there's just two movies on, and one's a blockbuster, and one's this little indie film that has only got one screening at like you know some weird time. I'm like, I'm gonna go and see that. Um, and it's just, and I've discovered some absolute gems by doing that, but I've also gone, oh, what am I doing here at other times? So, you know, at least, at least with a Marvel, you know what you're getting, right? It's it's very, very true, which is which is why it, what it was such, and it's still kind of a big deal. Um, I love it. Right, I'm going to put up a Star Wars poster uh, for your unpopular movie opinion. It doesn't matter from which film because it's going to represent a whole host of characters that you don't really know, but that's what I'm putting up as your final poster. Let's push open our last set of doors. We're about to enter the auditorium. Now there is a big queue of people hoping to join yourself, Gareth and Marlon Brando in this auditorium. Now you said earlier you like a late night screening with a smattering of people. Do you want to let them all in? Do you want to let some in? Do you want to let none in? Let's let a few in. Let's let a few. Not too many people. Let's let a few. It. I mean, I'd look kind of cool hanging out with Marlon Brando. So we need a few people to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, let a few in, and I'll act as a, I'll act as security, and I'll just frisk them for any popcorn bags. Popcorn box is fine, but no popcorn bags. I feel like we're missing out. Someone's missing out on a billion dollar idea. We need silent popcorn bags. Yeah, but I mean, boxes don't boxes don't rustle too much. Like, I, I don't understand. If you're going to go to the cinema, you want the stuff out of the counter you don't want the butter kissed bags which people buy boxes i don't yeah you're right you're right I, f I feel like my last few experiences like people have had bags and been quite annoying but there we are right some of the crowd go wild as they pour into the auditorium now before the movie you pick for us begins we're going to play a few things on the big screen and the first thing we're going to play is the trailer for the movie you are most looking forward to seeing at the cinema so I am most looking forward to seeing uh, Maestro, which is Bradley Cooper's next uh, uh, directing, Bradley Cooper's directing uh, after uh, Star is Born. Um, and I he's really turning into quite the multi-hyphenate and um, uh, Leo Bernstein... Um, I'm a fan of, and so I would. I'm really excited to see this and see what Bradley Cooper does with this movie. Um, yeah, and like the people working on this film. I mean, I think Spielberg and Scorsese are producers on it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and like Bradley Cooper, Cooper's doing it all: writing, acting, directing, producing, and um, yeah. And I admire people that do that. Uh, um, so yeah. So I'm excited about seeing that. I'm really like, I don't know what to expect after A Star Is Born. So 
I'm just like it looks it looks very different stylistically so I'm excited yeah yeah I think he's swinging for the fences you know he's got yeah. um, high aspirations as a director which I think is exciting um and, and like you say the talent involved it so I think he's co-written it with uh, Josh Singer who won the Oscar for did you see Spotlight about the the, the newspaper oh. in Boston uh, that's I mean I love that film love that film yeah. so yeah it's looking good I mean do you respect what he's done I I, I mean you like I said earlier, you yourself have, have moved behind the camera. What was it that drove you to do that? Was it about taking control? I was actually speaking to another actor who's done the same the other day, not Bradley Cooper, um, about how part of it was not just sitting, waiting for the phone to ring yeah. anymore as an actor, waiting for a casting, waiting for a role to come your way. It was about controlling your own destiny. 100% man it it totally came from a place really early on in my career it came from a place of just being really frustrated like what we spoke about at the beginning like like I feel I have so much more to give to the you know compared to the opportunities that I'm getting and I was like look I can either do one of two things here I can sit and complain about it and probably nobody's gonna listen or I can just go I can just teach myself how to create my own stuff and that's essentially what I did it was grassroots man I just was like okay I'm just the only way to do this is to is to learn how to make films and I literally bought a laptop my first laptop at the time and I just remember going right I'm gonna learn how to produce a movie I'm gonna learn how to do this and and if if it ever comes to it and I'm not given opportunities then I can make my own films and that was the mindset and and I just thought I think shouting and screaming about it is not going to get anywhere especially back then and so I was just like let's just learn how to do it and that's what I did and 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 it became a love and a passion and uh and I realized quite early on that oh like actually storytelling in all its forms is what excites me whether it's as an actor or a director or a writer I love telling stories and um yeah and so now what what that's given me in life is that and look, acting is my number one love. I, I, I still feel I have so much to give as an actor. But when I'm not acting, instead of sitting at home getting depressed and waiting for the phone to ring, I'm actually working on other things. It gives me a nine to five, like mm. a, when I'm not acting. So I'm like developing stuff or I'm working on stuff or I'm writing stuff. And um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah. So it, yeah, it essentially came from a place of, of frustration and. I just, and then it turned into a love. I think that one of the end results of that love was uh, the film Convenience, which really changed everything oh. for you. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that was a tiny little movie that we made for like twenty pence. Well, a little bit more than that. It was eighty grand, and 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 we made this film, just a group of people, and and just, you know for the love and just to show the world like oh you know if you've got good story you've got good performances and you've got a lot of passion you can you can make something and we did it and it was I, I wish one of my biggest regrets is not documenting the process of making convenience oh, like yeah. from starting off in like using the Curzon Soho as our office to start the whole process all the way to like being on set in Wales making this movie because actually the, the stuff that went on behind the scenes probably would have got watched more than the actual film did. 
It sounds like I mean I I I watched you you, you do you've done a fascinating uh, TEDx talk which I I invite anyone to watch um kind of about your philosophy of what changed everything for you and 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 this decision you made to mm-hmm. take control back and to use the title of the TED talk uh, letting go of the edge and um and yeah some of the stories you told it sounded like a, a UK clerks the experience yes. that Kevin Smith had making that so many so many stories and anecdotes like i couldn't touch on them all in that in that time of the ted talk but like yeah like one day i would really love to like completely shoot the shit on all of it because it was it was and you know what's amazing people still say to me like people that worked on that movie um have gone on to, to work on like star wars and stuff like that they've all gone on to do great stuff like the crew and um they all come back and say um, that was the funnest shoot I've ever been on. I had the most fun, one of the fondest memories because we were all in it together. It's like, listen, this is like, it's not going to change our lives financially. So we're all just mucking in. Let's just do it. And it was a laugh a minute. It really was. I love it. So when they come back and go, oh, that was the most fun shoot I ever did. I'm now working on Star Wars. You're like, what's that now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Star what? uh lovely stuff right the next thing we're going to play um on the big screen following the trailer for maestro is the movie moment ray that makes you literally or metaphorically pump your fist in the air okay um i'm gonna go with because there was a couple of options i had for this but i'm gonna go for the moment where they discover the tunnel in shawshank redemption and Andy dufresne's escaped it's a classic and yeah. i'm sure many people have said that on this show maybe it, no this is this is a first but oh, it's a it's a hell of a moment uh, ray yeah and Dufresne, what's the what's the line the warden says he's he's vanished like a fart in the wind yes absolutely and that for me was i remember seeing that and just like because i didn't see it coming and i was just like Wow! It's just that it's a feel-good moment. It really is. It really is a feel-good moment. So that makes me pump my fist in the air. And another one, which I think I'm going to quickly slip in there, if if I may, is Matt Damon's speech in the bar and in Goodwill Hunting. Um, you know when he comes in to protect Ben Affleck's character, and uh, it's just oh, you just you just dream of moments like that to shut down someone obnoxious in your life. Like, like you know, you, if you encounter someone obnoxious, you just dream of moments where you could be so articulate mm-hmm. and just, you know. So I, I remember watching that. It's never left me seeing that. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that to some people. I just don't have the vocabulary or the intelligence to be able to, unfortunately. <sighs> I, I, it's it's wish fulfillment, isn't it? That Matt Damon yes. speech, because uh, because also we've all met that guy, and it, it it really normally is a guy, someone regurgitating some abstract piece of philosophy, some quote from literature. Yeah. That like the guy in the bar, they've just rehearsed, and they are doing it to basically, you know, flare their tail feathers and go, look what I know compared to you. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, maybe I need to keep watching that because I'd love one day to be able to articulate myself like that. Yeah, I mean, I think we might need a genius level IQ, uh, but never. Certainly not. Yeah, certainly not. (laughs) Uh, Right, next up, we're going to play, Ray, what you consider cinema's most shocking moment. Cinema's most shocking moment. 
uh, oh yes, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, this was like, I can't remember how old I would have been when this came out. Was it 99, this movie? Um, it was. Uh, it's got to be uh, the reveal at the end of The Sixth Sense. I mean, again, I didn't see it coming. And uh, and you know what was amazing? Back then, people kept the secret. People kept the secret. I mean, there was no social media, of course, but it was a spoiler-free zone back then. Like, yep. no one... No one revealed it. Like, I know that this film was getting buzz and loads of people had seen it. And I knew there was something that unexpected that happened. But no one told me. And I went and watched it. And I'm so glad I got to experience that without anyone spoiling it. It's a, it's a gut punch of a moment. It's a great moment. It is shocking. And and, I, and like you say, I mean, we ha- I don't think we've even said it right now, which I think is good because it's one of those moments that you don't want to rob people of you want people to see it themselves even though this is a movie 20 years ago more now you're like no 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 if someone someone experiences that the way we did it's a special moment yeah 100 100 percent in and uh just yeah i was like and and the knock-on effect of that is that um it was it had such an impact on me that actually and unfairly so that the director's movies that came after that never lived up to expectation for me although they were brilliant it was just the I have that memory of that feeling that sucker punch of like wow and yeah and because I never got that in the other movies it was like to me it was a little disappointment um but yeah oh yeah I mean certainly the the, I remember he did the the village Village. which was another twist movie but yeah so I used to do a show called Balls of Steel, and they did all sorts of pranks on it. We did all sorts of pranks. Some were very, very extreme, and yet the one that made me most upset, I wasn't involved, was when the a character called the Annoying Devil went it hid in a cinema, and the village was about to start, and he popped up just as the village came on screen and went, and revealed the twist to oh, the audience. He went, oh, no. This- no. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's too much, guys. Yeah, I spoke to the too much. I was like, I was like, we. You can put dog poo all across London Bridge. You can squirt celebrities <laughs> in the face, but you cannot reveal the end of a movie. People are sitting down to watch. No. Heartbreaking. Google that after. I'm in- interested to see that. I want to know what people's reactions were to that. I seem to remember some people were like, oh, like there was gen- there was a, a verbal sort of reflex action from cinema fans going, "What have you done?" So yeah, awful, awful business. Um, right then. So you've already mentioned Matt Damon's speech, but our next question for you that we're going to play through the Dolby Atmos speakers is the line or piece of dialogue from a movie that most affected you. There's a speech in the movie La Haine. It's a French movie. Probably my favourite movie of all time. And um, it's, if for those that don't know it, set over one day and night and it follows three um kids essentially in the in the in the paris ghettos and um and and uh there's a speech that comes i think sort of halfway through where they're sort of uh talking and arguing in a, in a toilet and then they don't realize that there's this man sitting in a toilet cubicle comes out of the toilet cubicle and he's been listening to their conversation and he delivers this beautiful, 
beautiful monologue essentially which acts as a as a metaphor for the whole movie and these guys are really affected by what he says if not confused but it but but affected and i remember it really affected me and the reason i've chosen this is because every time i watch it i've tried to unpick what he means what the metaphor is me and Gareth have tried to unpick <laughs> what the, what 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 he kind of means in this speech, and every time I come up with something different, and every time I watch it, it's it's something else, and and so that would be one of my most memorable because um, I don't think it's quite obvious, and you know, there's there's a lot of ways you can skin it, I guess. Um, so yeah, so I would I would say that, and uh, yeah, that's Marie most memorable. I'm pleased that you uh, suffixed that with. Um... I've tried to work out what it means uh, because I thought you were going to tell me what it means because I know the scene ends with one of the three going, why did why did he tell us that? And that yeah. was me watching La Haye. And I'm like, uh, should I know what that means? Because yeah. I don't. And I, I thought maybe based on our earlier chat, it was too much watching Star Wars that I would like metaphor just like goes over my head now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I have some ideas of what it could be. Um but yeah, like I, I wouldn't even want to get it wrong. Like I, I just, I, and I think that's some sometimes the beauty of a film is that is there an answer? Does it, or is it David Lynch esque? Is it, is it, is it, is it Kafka? Is it, is it? Are we not meant to know? Is it meant to just confuse us? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ambi amb I, I do enjoy ambiguity a lot most of the time. Sometimes I find it frustrating, but yeah, a, a little bit of um, something that is open to different interpretations. Um, yeah. It's quite enjoyable because, like you say, you and Gareth and Marlon, uh, Mar Marlon, Marlon can uh, talk about this till the morning. Hundred percent. I I bet he knows what it means. Of course he does. He'll break it down in a in a second. <laughs> right then, Ray. The last thing we need to do before you announce to us the movie you've picked to watch tonight is play through the speakers the piece of music from cinema that has most affected you? Thomas Newman's theme to American Beauty. It's got to be, it's it's got to be that. I, I, I thought of something else before that and then I and then I remembered that and I was like, oh man, that touches me. I put it on, I, I added it to, to a, an Instagram story of mine a few months ago. Um, and it was just this beautiful moment of like, I was in LA and there's like a, I was just filming this wonderful lake um and uh this duck sort of rolled past <laughs> and i added the music onto it um and it just made the video so beautiful i was like wow this is just a duck this is just water and a duck going past and then i added thomas newman soundtrack to it and i was like now it touches me wow <laughs> <laughs> the duck was your plastic bag blowing in the wind it was, it was my, exactly exactly that um and uh, yeah, and it's a piece of music that I think, wow, it's just so emotive and wonderful. And um, you know, this, this, as as proven with my duck videos, one of those pieces of music that you could probably add to anything. I tell you what, I'm going to do. Um, I'm, when when I put up uh, the first post saying that you're on the show, I'm going to use that piece of music to advertise this episode and, yeah. and, and see see the reaction see whether people yeah go. and and like, see how many likes it gets let's judge it on that let's get one right. <laughs> is is there any other system of judgment in 2023 no it's it's all based on likes it's all likes yeah um, yeah ray 
We've arrived. I'm very excited. Very excited based on our conversation. It is time to announce to this packed, semi-packed auditorium, yeah. Marlon Brando and Gareth, the movie out of all others you have picked for us to watch tonight. Ray, what are we watching? Oh, this was so hard. You're essentially asking me my favorite movie and it's not going to be my favorite movie. I had to think about this because I was like, no, I'm talking too much about like these indie art house movies that I love. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I've got to commercialize this a little bit more. So I've sort of thought about this hard. So for this experience, the movie that we're going to watch, me, Marlon and Gareth, is going to be There Will Be Blood. Okay. Okay, the Paul Thomas Anderson classic. I, I imagine you're playing it for Marlon Brando because he probably likes a good performance. 100%. And I would love, because arguably two of the greatest male actors of all time, I would love to see his opinion on Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. I mean, to shoot the shit with Marlon Brando and what he thinks about Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in There Will Be Blood. Because I feel like he would find flaws in it, which is impossible. <laughs> but I feel like Brando would still have something to say. And um, that would be so interesting. That would be so interesting. So really for that alone. And actually, There Will Be Blood's an interesting experience for me because the first time I watched it, I came away and I think I may have maybe fallen asleep at the time of watching it and it was a bit like, mm, yeah. And then I watched it years later for the second time. And I was like, what have I missed out on? This is a masterpiece. And uh, for me, Paul Thomas Anderson is the goat. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, it's such all round. It's such a beautiful piece of filmmaking. And as an actor, to watch Daniel Day-Lewis just immerse himself in that is just incredible so that's my movie um you've you picked my favorite paul thomas anderson movie uh, i i i absolutely love that film and um I, again i think i think what you're saying which i agree with is it's one of those movies where you'll put it on for a performance like some mm -hmm. movies you're watching for a story and i'm not saying the story's not all that but right. it's a movie. It's you know, in a in a in any a more commercial way. It's why I'll watch The Dark Knight again. I'll watch that for Heath Ledger's performance in that, and I I think Daniel Day Lewis in this falls into that category, right? I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, I just yeah, it's just in every way, in every way, it's just an epic movie with an epic performance. And let's not forget about the other performances around it. Everyone is brilliant. Um, so yeah, that. I think is 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 the one and man to hear Marlon Brando what he has to say about that would be yeah amazing yeah yeah he should have uh, when he when he took off his hat he should have had the head of a dolphin <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh right what a wonderful wonderful choice there will be blood we've screened it tonight in our virtual cinema you're walking out with Marlon 
and Gareth and the audience as everyone's smiling, chatting, thanking you for taking them this wonderful night out at the cinema. But before you go, it is, of course, time for our mystery question as we ask, what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? So, seeing this for the first time myself. Oh, okay. All right, here's your mystery question this week, Ray. You are in the brilliant TV show. Hello, Ray. You are in the brilliant TV show Boiling Point. But what makes you hit your boiling point? Is there something that never fails to make you angry? Ah, that's a good question. I ask, I'm possibly asking at the wrong time. As we started with, I'm feeling really calm and chill and, at the moment. Said, um, I, um, I would say just rudeness, general rudeness from people and bullying. They're two things that like really make me angry. And I just think there's no reason for anybody to just be rude to each other. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. If you like, you, you, you're, you know, you just encounter, you just have a rude interaction for no reason. Like, yeah, or bullying. They're two things I just can't understand. Like, you know, we've all got shit going on. Let's just be nice to each other. So they're the two things I would say. I mean, they're, they're two things I fully understand. I think they're, they're awful. What's the scale, though, for the um, for the for the rudeness? Uh, I, do you do you give a pass to someone? Because like, what annoys me is if you like, if it if it's not obvious to the other person, fine. But if if you are holding a door for someone and they don't on the most basic level just acknowledge like the appreciation of you going, no, you go first. Um, uh, that honestly, it's like that's how I, I can't decide if I'm just petty and I just need to get on with my life and accept that in London everyone is going at like a hundred miles an hour all the time and you shouldn't Where? expect it or whether it's just like, I would always say thank you. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. And like, it's little things like that, that like do, you know, wind me up. But like, I, I again, I I've learned to just be like, again, post retreat, Mr. Zen. But like, I I've learned to go like, getting because I, I would maybe make a sarcastic comment or something or give a sarcastic thank you back back mm. whenever but now i'm like you know what it's just i'm not even gonna rise to it i'm just not gonna let it affect my day and my energy right now um so yeah that but bullying's a, a harder one because you just i can't stand to see it and uh and that um yeah that i just think there's no room for that in society of course absolutely and i guess you know weirdly i was talking to an actor about this the other day about sort of like the the, the best castmates he's worked with are, yeah. are, are are people who aren't trying to control the the set they're people who are very giving who are very open yeah. and are, aren't you know perhaps not bullying but sort of trying to dominate their castmates i look for me like we're filmmaking is I'm, I'm i feel so lucky to be in the most wonderful industry in the world i'm I like i feel so lucky every day like to be able to do what i love doing for a living and um i just think like and 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 film sets i am so excited to be on them all the time and i feel like just let's have fun and let's be nice let's be kind we're so privileged to be doing what we do and um there's no room for that you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, just to be grateful for, 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 for what we get to do. So 
um, I, I feel like the film set should be. And actually, I've always felt like the energy from a film set, you see it on screen. Like, you see if the, it always comes from the top, right? And so I always try to make a conscious effort to, like, to, 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 for everyone to feel welcome and to feel like they have an opinion and that this is a collaboration whenever I'm making a film or whatever. Um, because that's going to make for a better movie and that's going to make for a happier set. And I think it shows on screen. Ray, that is a lovely sentiment to end on. I'm afraid your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you go, let's recap your perfect night at the movies. You are going with Marlon Brando and your friend Gareth. You're going to a midnight screening kindly so Marlon Brando doesn't get recognised and there'll be less popcorn bag rustling. You are sitting on an aisle because, like me, you are an isler. Respect. So few of us. So few of us. You are having a box of salted popcorn which has been examined so that not a single sweet piece has got in there and a Coke Zero. We're putting up posters. One depicts your fondest movie memory. It's watching Killers of the Flower Moon followed by a Q&A the great Martin Scorsese. Your worst movie memory is never being able to work out whether you did see a ghost child in Three Men and a Baby. The poster that depicts the movie that brought you to tears is the smile from the kid at the end of Capernaum. The final poster we're putting up is your unpopular movie, Decision, which is that you've never chosen to actively watch a Star Wars movie, but after this interview, that's all gonna change. We're entering the auditorium. You're letting a few of the crowd in to join you in watching the trailer for Maestro. Then we'll play the movie moment that makes you pump your fist in the air. The discovery of Andy Dufresne's tunnel in the Shawshank Redemption. Then we're going to play cinema's most shocking moment for you. The reveal at the end of The Sixth Sense. The line or piece of dialogue from a movie that most affected you, the monologue in the toilets in La Haine, and the best use of music in a movie, Thomas Newman's score from American Beauty before we all sit down and watch Paul Thomas Anderson's masterpiece, There Will Be Blood. Ray, thank you for taking us on that trip to the movies. Have you had a good time? I've had a brilliant time. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed that. It's been great really disappointed that Marlon Brando has a taxi waiting for him and not a driver though <laughs> I mean he's... come on he, he's, he's he's humble he's, he's humble yes. he's, he's a very humble man he's just sitting there in the back of the taxi waiting for you to get in he's got in first so he's not that humble he's got his <laughs> favourite seat um, Ray have a great rest of your day thanks mate thanks buddy take care man and as Ray's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, we must all leave his movie paradise and return to reality. But to soften the blow, how would you like a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema? Each week we give away a pair to someone who leaves us a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. It really is that simple, so jump on there, leave us a review, and if I read it out... We'll send you a pair of tickets. Simple as that. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. Just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full video for today's Ray interview and indeed for every guest on our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. It goes up a few days after the podcast launches. You'll normally find a new one on there every 
Friday, just in time for the weekend. So, as I said at the start, head over there and please do hit subscribe while you're there and help us grow the pod. And that really is it. I'll be back next week when another guest fills our cinema with their celluloid dreams as they take us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.